All right, welcome into the Austin Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Uh, it's a Wednesday. It's a mailbag edition. We pushed the mailbag from its normal spot on Monday to Wednesday just because the weekend had a lot of news that we needed to dive into and discuss. Uh, we're doing the mailbag in the morning on a live trial run. We'll see how this goes. So uh, if you guys enjoy this, we really appreciate it. Uh, Hit the like button uh, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, drop in questions as well because we will be taking your questions as the show goes forward. But we've got a couple questions already kind of preloaded from Eric's tweets out uh, yesterday. A lot to talk to. I'm sure there's a lot to discuss as well. Wide range of, of, of topics here. Yeah, welcome to – we're going to give this a shot. First off, I don't know if we'll always be doing Wednesdays on these mailbags, but just a morning kind of live stream, do half mailbag, half you guys ask us questions on the second half of the show. We'll see how the format works. If we like it, we'll keep doing it. If we don't, we don't have to do it anymore. We can figure out another way to incorporate the live stream. But, yeah, we asked three questions here today to start for the first half, and then we'll answer questions in the back half. First question from at ZA6 underscore King. With the 23 prep class growing – and transfers coming in slash expected to come in, what is the realistic number you expect to see transfer out to satisfy the numbers? Also, what, in your opinion, are the most important needs remaining to fill? Thanks for all the great shows. Um, you know, it, it, it is interesting uh, talking to people about the portal. People asking me, is this, is this alarming that Oregon has now more than a dozen players in it? And my response has been, no, they actually need more players to enter, uh, to which they go, wow, this is, this is just kind of a wild situation here where, where you're actually, as a fan, I don't know if you want to say you're rooting for players to leave the program, but it's the best case scenario for Oregon right now that more players actually transfer. So um, get that out of the way, because I know that there might be some fans that are kind of going, gosh, they've lost four. I had several people text me in the last week. of like, is this concerning? They've had like a dozen people enter. And the answer is no, this is the wild, wild west that the transfer portal creates. And uh, for Oregon, they've lost a couple of players that are key contributors or regular contributors. But for the most part, these are guys that didn't have clear-cut roles going forward that are going to go somewhere else and play more. And you've seen, for the most part, players commit to other schools taking a step down. You know, Sean Dollars and Jackson Luke going to Nevada, Seven McGee going to Jackson, Seven McGee, I should say, going to Jackson State. So just to get that part out of the way, the, the premise of this question is accurate in that they actually do need more players to transfer out to fill these classes. So, Matt, I'm going to throw it to you because you are our scholarship math guy. Where does Oregon stand right now? Um, and I guess if you want to answer the question directly, like is, what's the estimate of number of players that we're at 14 right now? What number do we need to reach for this all to work? Uh, well, first I need to address some questions in the chat here. I don't know if uh -oh. you've seen this. I'm getting no, I... hammered for not having facial hair like the other two. Mm. Uh, like oh, Eric boy. and Jared. <laughs> That's why everyone came. Come on, Matt. They want to know about the facial hair. Uh, yeah, Turn I can't grow a beard. It's not, it wouldn't look good. Uh, now, <laughs> the scholarship numbers here. Um, Oregon currently sits with 69 players currently on scholarship heading into the uh, the, the holiday bowl. Um, nice. That's well done. Uh, that is before we even take into account like injuries, like Popo Omave is listed in that number. He's not playing in that game. He's out. And I think th there's two numbers to know. One, what's Oregon's just roster going to look like 
in this bowl game. It's going to look severely depleted. So they're at 69 scholarship players there right now. Going into 2023, um, they have 83 of their 85 players or 85 of their scholarships accounted for or slotted for current players. That doesn't take into account, though, the possibility that a Bo Nix returns or the possibility that a Popo Amave, who we all expect to get his sixth year of eligibility approved, and he returned to Oregon next season. So that right there, if those two things happen, Oregon's at 85, and they can't add any other player down the road. Um, so you're going to need more. You're, you're going to need more transfers out of the football program, or maybe it's a guy that's currently committed to the team, whether it's via transfer portal or whether it's a high school or a junior college transfer commit, they flip to another school. Um, that's the only two ways that you're going to continue to add more players because there are a lot of names out there that Oregon is trying to get. You know, it wouldn't be a surprise to me that if they go out and they add seven more guys between high school and portal and JUCO, and to get seven more guys on this team, let's just say they need seven of these players that's currently on their roster or currently committed. They have 27 commits when you transfer, when you factor in transfers. 69 guys currently on the team on scholarship, 13 of those being seniors. They need guys to leave. And unfortunately, you know, we, we've said this before. You know, I, I think we could see some movement in the, the secondary. Um, I, I think we could see some movement at receiver. Um, and I also think we could see some movement along the offensive line. There's going to be a couple guys that, you know, they're bringing in a lot of offensive linemen right now. But I wonder, is that because the talent currently on roster isn't there? Or if they know something and some of these guys are leaving? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they just need more guys to leave, which – it's never really what you want to say or never really what you want to hear when it comes to, you know, kids who are 18, 19, 20, to, up to 21, 22 years old, uh, unless you're Stetson Bennett. But, you know, that's their scholarship. That's how they're going to school. And it's unfortunate that Oregon needs those guys, those guys to leave. But with the addition of, of Luke Dunn, a punter out of Australia, who is a real person, um, they're up to 25 scholarships because he tweeted at least that he was on a full scholarship coming to Oregon um, last night in his commitment tweet. That's 25. So at the bare minimum, you need to head into when everybody enrolls with 60 guys, 60 scholarship guys, so you don't go over anything. And Matt said they're at 69 right now. Um, quick math, journalism math right here. You need nine more guys at least to leave, uh, assuming that Oregon signs all of their recruiting, uh, their prep players or uh, Juco with George Silva. Um, and I think that's a reasonable number to expect. And obviously there's a chance that they don't sign everybody in their recruiting class. It never happens, it's recruiting. So maybe they don't need all nine guys to leave. Maybe they only need six or five guys to leave when they end up signing 21 or 22 people. But that, again, that doesn't even take into account what they can do in the transfer portal, which is going to be active. It already has been. It will continue to be active in this 45 day window. And it'll continue to be even more active um, after bowl games because there's going to be a lot of kids who want to prove themselves on the open stage for whatever team they represent and whatever team they play for. 
um, that when the starting guy enters the NFL draft or their starting receiver enters the transfer portal to go somewhere else, that one of the backups wants to prove himself on the national stage so that a school watching, a school scouting, the opposing team potentially sees what they have done on the field and wants to know, you know, if they're willing to relocate for a new position. Um, and so, I, I mean, they're going to, at the end of the day, just to answer the question, like they're going to need more guys. I don't have a specific number other than they need to get it under 85. And right now that means at least nine more guys leaving the program. Is it really nine? Do they need to get to, they need to get to 23 transfers out this cycle. That's crazy. Well, that's so Matt said it was at 69, not including Knicks and not including Popo. Right. Are so you, I'm just going off there's of that. No and they have 25 scholarship limit. There's no right. more 25 man limit. Uh, you can set as many guys as you want. You just have to be under 85. Right. But as of now, they got 25. So at the bare minimum, the very minimum, right. they need at least 25 open spots. Or at least 27 because of uh, Justin Jacobs and yeah. Treshawn Holden. So they need more guys to enter out 58. They, they have 83 guys currently slotted for scholarships right now for that, 2023. And that includes that includes newcomers. Yes. Yes. Um, the reason why they're at 83 and not 85 right now is <laughs> a lot of guys to leave. They were below 85 before the start of the season already. And then more players have transferred out as the season has progressed. So um, they have some wiggle room, but they've got room right now for two more guys. But I mean, two more guys. Okay. Well, we know David Hicks. We know DJ uh, Mateo Ungalele. We know. Um, who's the other five star that Proctor. they're? Yeah, Caden Proctor. So, like, right there, you have you three five star guys. <laughs> you have three five star guys that you don't have room for. And, and at least not, one of them. Not to not to mention Steve Wiltfong just put in a crystal ball for Ashton Porter, a four star defensive lineman from Cypress, right. Texas. Right. So there's another player who it looks like is is headed that direction. There's a kid who was committed to. I'm blank. I'm, I think it was, it was named David Solomon. Committed to Arizona. Just opened his recruitment up. Oregon's is a defensive oh, back. Yes. Oregon, Oregon's entered the picture mm-hmm. there. There are non-five star recruits who are also on the radar. So, uh, I mean, Jameer Johnson's a tight end. That's there you go. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's yeah. coming this weekend. So, like, yeah, like Jared's right. They it, it, just from a high school perspective of looking at who they're still involved in, you're not turning down any of the three five star players. Like you have to find so at minimum you have to find at least one more guy. Uh, if best case scenario plays out, which probably wouldn't happen, but no. um, even just from a high school perspective, we just ran through seven guys, six guys that legitimately have chances of landing at Oregon, and you've only got room right now for two. So it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon maneuvers this because. You need to bring in talent. I mean, what? I'm just playing hypothetical here, and I really hope he doesn't get offended because I I really think he can make a huge impact. He's a really good person. But, like, does Oregon even have to have the conversation of, like, Popo, we'd love for you to be here, but, like, is it in the program's best interest long term to have him take a scholarship? Like, I think it is, but I'm not a coach. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's one you want back though, because he's a a potential starting caliber player. Yes. So yes. there there are again, this is such a tough spot here because we're talking about a lot of these kids are teenagers, young 
twenties. And I apologize. We'll get to our next question. I was just trying to clarify what their numbers were exactly because I was I was personally having trouble following. So I figured the listeners might as well. Sounds like maybe half a dozen at minimum is is necessary to 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 get to where you need to to even. I mean, well, the numbers you need for the prep class and then combined with the needs that you have in the portal. Um, it could, I don't know. It could be another dozen. I mean, we just we just listed off six names, like Matt said. Let's say Oregon just takes four of them. That's a, a 29 total in this class, assuming okay. everybody signs. Are and you, then, I, I think you're not subtracting the senior class that Matt was also saying were included in the 69 that were on scholarship for. So that's 13 yes. more you take off. Okay, okay. I think that's the point of confusion. That's why I'm trying to clarify because I was also going, right. I thought it was more like they need to push out like four or five for sure. And then you said nine and I went, that seems higher than I thought. Fair, fair. It's still, it could be around that number because it still could be, like, yeah, because of the portal we, edition too. Right. Because we're talking about six high school kids and let's hypothetically say four of them land. Let's say they get four of the six, which would be a great recruiting class. That's another four guys that you got to add to the list, assuming everybody signs. And then we've we've talked on and on and on and on on this podcast about how they need impact edge rushers and impact yeah. potential linebackers. They might need a new tight end now. So that's another four or five guys. So there's 10 more players that you might need to see in the portal. It could easily be a situation where 30 guys leave the program and they bring in another 30 guys or they bring in 32 because they were two under potentially with with Nick's not returning or potentially with them returning. I don't know. I mean, I don't envy the coaching staff at Oregon. And I don't know how they're they're able to still recruit with this like lingering over their head because I don't, I have no idea how the numbers are going to work. Yeah. And, so, and I was just going to say before I toss you, Matt, and it sounds like you're going to clarify. I just wanted to say for those listening, it's complicated. And imagine you're in the coaching room trying to figure out your Marshall mm -hmm. Malco trying to tell Dan, okay, here's what our, our numbers look like. It's complicated because there's so many moving parts. There's ex there's players exiting. There's the question of which players could you actually add. I guess this is not this is not what it used to be like. It used to be pretty cut and dry rules around this time of year about okay, you have to be under 25 prep players. You got to get under 85 roster players by the time fall camp starts in 2020 or the next year. Now you're in a spot where you also have to juggling a lot of other elements. So. Uh, sorry, Matt, I think I cut you off, but I was just going to clarify for those listening. Like, yeah, it is. I know it's not as complicated as maybe because we've kind of crossed wires a couple of times there, but it, it, it is a continually moving like, mathematical equation almost here of, of what this looks like. So Oregon has 24 freshmen, 20 sophomores, and 12 juniors currently, <clears throat> currently on its roster. 27 guys either transfers or commits, which brings you to 83 total scholarships. So Oregon has two available still to fill, but as we've said, they need a lot more. And I think Jared could still be right that, you know, knowing the names that are out there and the positions of need that are out there, like we haven't once mentioned a guy that's an elite pass rusher. I don't know where mm -hmm. that's coming from. And, and they need that. So they're going to need at minimum, probably five, probably be more like, seven guys to leave and just finding who those guys are. It's going to be tough and it gets more complicated if Bo Nix comes back or if Popo Amave's uh, his waiver gets approved or like what happens if Cam McCormick comes back right. who could still yeah. come back. And now there's, you know, three, you know, there's only two tight ends on the roster right now next season. And if he comes back, he knows he's going to play a ton. 
There would be three with Sadiq, the addition for the, from yes, the rest of Frank. Um, yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> and maybe the, I'm gonna transition to the next question because we've been on this one for 20 minutes and I'm sure people want us to move on. Um, this might answer your question about elite pass rush guys because the question from at N Drebbing, out of Caden Proctor, Mateo Uangalele and David Hicks, which do you think are most likely to to commit? Hashtag Otson Audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag. Um, the reason I bring this up, Mateo Hicks, two guys who would certainly help you in terms of getting to the quarterback. Those are two five-star front seven defensive players. Hicks more of a hand down. I think Mateo could be hand down, could be standing. Um, probably a guy who could step in and, and play right away as a standing with that open spot. So, um, Matt, again, I'm going to toss it to you first because you are, again, we, we picked these questions. It's time. It's your time of the year to shine, Matt. Though. I mean, we are in scholarship math. We are in recruiting. We are in all of this stuff. So um, what, where's your read on these three guys? I mean, Oregon has tripped all these guys out here multiple times. Hicks was here, what, as recently as, like, last weekend. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think Oregon – does Oregon lead for any of these guys? We should know Proctor is committed to Iowa right now. I think Hicks is committed – is he still committed to A&M? So like yes. two of these guys are currently verbally committed to other schools. Mateo's uncommitted, but like, what's your hierarchy here? How would you rank these for most likely to least likely? I mean, these are these are also, it's like kind of apples and oranges here. Um, if it was a month ago, I would have said Proctor hands down. Everything was shifting towards him flipping, and then he never actually did it. Um, so we'll see what happens there, but. I want to say Mateo, but Mateo and his brother, DJ, who's in the transfer portal, quarterback, five-star player from Clemson, kind of want to play together. But Oregon is maybe the best outcome for them playing together, but only if Bo Nix decides not to return to Oregon. So it's kind of like mm. double-edged sword here. Like, hey, like, Duck fan, how about you get Mateo? How about you get DJ? But you also lose Bo Nix in the process. That, that's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time seeing DJ, who's a grad transfer, who's eligible immediately to be willing to sit a year behind Bo Nix, whether that's as a redshirt or just as a normal backup, and then go into next season. And does that scare off Dante Moore, who was previously last weekend at UCLA? Um, I, I, I feel like Hicks of the three is maybe the least likely. That would be my answer. Um, I think Oregon has an in with Proctor. Feels like at one point in time this season, relatively recently, they were going to flip him. There was a ton of buzz about it, and it just never happened. Um, but if Bo Nix decides his career at, at the college level is done – it's a shoe in from from my pick for those out of those three being Mateo. Not that Mateo's a shoe in to go to Oregon, but I think it's hands down he'd be the, the most likely one of the three of Bonex leaves. It's it's weird. I don't know which one you would want because all three of them would help in different areas, but all three of them kind of also come with some impacts that are not necessarily a good thing either. Like that doesn't that doesn't sound right but like hicks doesn't solve your elite pass rush ability i don't think um Wait, he'll help he'll help. help yeah he'll help but i don't i just don't look at him as like Kayvon thibodeau type 
pass rush? Uh, potentially could be really, I mean, he's different body type, different, different, right. different situation, but he, he's, he's more like, uh, I'm trying to think of what, what a fair, I, who is his, by the way, who's his 24 seven, pull this up for me, Jared. I, I hate how I do this on podcasts. Who's his 24 seven sports player comparison. I'm asking some, you were, you were once an intern and you'll ever be, will ever be an intern in my eyes where I just ask you to do menial tasks for me on a podcast. Thank you. Um, uh, it's well, I, just Justin Mabuki from the Baltimore Ravens. So for all of those who know who that is. Okay. Fair, fair. <laughs> far, less, far less obscure than that. Um, yes. But no, like, I, I mean, I, so like, I guess I'm going to do it differently than what Matt did because I, I, I'm going to just defer to Matt's opinion on the most likely. I think in terms of what would be most beneficial for an addition, I'll do it that way. And Jared, you can maybe weigh in on this as well. Um, who would help the team the most in 23? I would actually say Hicks, Mateo Proctor, because mm-hmm. I, I do I, I do I do have concerns. I know we've talked about the edge rest position. I also think that's one where it's it, it's asking a lot for. A, I, I almost feel like it's this is crazy to say. I almost feel like it's easier to expect like a, a in, interior defensive lineman to be a contributor right away than an edge guy for some reason. Just the history oh, yeah. of what I what I've seen and maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's sort of my perspective. So I think David Hicks can come in and, and there's going to be potentially two, three jobs open, depending on what Casey Rogers and decides to do and what Brandon Dorless decides to do. Jordan Riley is obviously uh, graduating. So there's, there's potentially all three spots could be open. Hicks could come in and fill it one or two of those, I think pretty easily in terms of positions. And then I look at Mateo as being somebody who, there would be a clear-cut opportunity to, to play right away. Maybe, maybe did I have did I, did I, I should have Mateo ahead of Proctor, I guess, just because I think defensive pass rush is probably the biggest need on this this roster right now. So I'd go, I'd go if I was ordering them, not on who I think will most likely to commit, but of which positions or, or which players would benefit the most in the short term. I'd go Hicks, Mateo, and Proctor, and, and that's also saying that I think like Proctor could come in and potentially push to start at right tackle like right away because he's a stud, but I just probably lean defensive line above offensive line at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Eric, in terms of what what, what player would provide the most instant impact, um, especially with interior defensive line. I think that's just more about how big you are, how strong you are, um, and can you physically match up with college football. And Hicks is 6'4", 270. At least that's what his 24-7 sports page says. I think he's probably more than 270, but he carries it really well. I mean, if you watch his tape, he, he carries it really well. He's an explosive athlete and just dominates the line of scrimmage. Um, you, you know, Steve Wolfong of 24-7 Sports posted an update on, on on all of these guys and said where Oregon stands with them. I think it's like what Matt was talking about, where it's kind of a domino effect with Mateo Iungalale. It's I don't know if him and, and DJ want to be a package deal, um, if you look at Mateo's top three schools of USC, Ohio State, and Oregon, um, Ohio State does have a quarterback, you know, a vacancy because CJ Stroud's going to enter enter the draft if he hasn't already. So that's one to look out for. But if they both want to stay on the West Coast, where they're both originally from, um, Oregon is obviously the clear cut favorite because Caleb Williams is coming back to USC next season. But it depends on what Bo Nix decides to do because, like Matt said, if he decides to come back, there's no way DJ's coming to Oregon because that would just be kind of useless for him. He's not going to beat out Bo Nix. And then, you know, Will Fong also said about Hicks, he said if Oregon was in Texas, he would go to Oregon. 
And that was all I needed to hear. Like that, that's a tough, that's a tough thing. This happens every recruiting cycle where distance becomes a factor in a player's recruitment. And although Texas to Oregon has a direct flight from Dallas at a DFW to Eugene, might not be enough. It might, he might want to stay closer to home. He has relationships with the Texas A&M class of 2023 already. I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't have a. I don't have a crystal ball prediction for any of these guys. But I'll agree with Eric where it's Hicks, Mateo, Proctor in terms of immediate help because um, you can at least see Mateo and Hicks performing something like a Kayvon Thibodeau, where he comes in as a true freshman and makes an impact. Maybe makes an, an immediate impact later in the season. But you look at someone like Josh Connerly who was as high or maybe even higher rated than Proctor was last season. You know, he doesn't, he only gets on the field in, in garbage time in the 14 J package, which is you know where they have almost every offensive lineman on the roster on the field at one point. So yeah, he could, he could fight for a right or left tackle position, but I think it's, it's going to be hard. It's much more of a median impact from a defensive line perspective than anything else. The only thing that would help Proctor and differentiate from Connerly is just the difference of who's returning from this year to last year, where they had all these veteran guys back this year, next year, in theory. Well, they don't. They, they lose basically their whole starting group, with the exception of a couple of players who have decisions to make. Um, mm -hmm. Move on from this one. We'll do one more, and then we'll go to break and answer some questions from those who are in the live stream. We've got 85 people on here at about 9.30 on a, on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Guys are guys are showing you. That's impressive. I'm I'm impressed. We're we were curious what the numbers would look like. I think this is this is pretty darn good. All right, uh, from at tr Shipley, do you have any breakout players for next season? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. This is kind of a tough one because there's so much roster movement. So uh, it's hard for me to project who has like actual career, like clear. I should say like paths to playing time in some instances like that's part of what makes a breakout player is typically it's the person who maybe was playing behind a couple of players those players have left now they have an opportunity to step into a role well because of the portal because of a bunch of different things portal in portal out draft decisions that need to be made who comes in in this prep recruiting class it's, it's a little more difficult to decide like what the position battles will look like but I've got a I've got a couple names in my head of guys who I was impressed with in year one who I think could have bigger year bigger roles in year two. Uh, offensively, I have two. Defensively, I have a couple. Um, I'm I'm largely sticking with guys in their first or second years who haven't really done much. I think that's the the point. Uh, offensively, I, I I'm curious to see if Jordan James receives a bigger role next year. I think he's somebody who clearly showed in short yardage. He was capable. I know the last the most recent evidence wasn't incredible uh in corvallis but let's we don't have to talk about that he was good in other situations and i i just remember back to a couple of times when you know the game was out of hand and they kind of expanded his role and he wasn't running purely in short yardage that he was cap showed capable of, of breaking off some you know a little bit more explosiveness a little bit more nuance to his game rather than just get ball run into people try to get into the end zone which is a you know a very specific skill set so i think james is someone to look out for um I think Kyler Casper is a guy who's is young, but there was some quite a bit of positive buzz in practice, and he only got into I think one game. It was like a homecoming game against Arizona, but he plays that Z receiver position. We talked about who left there, and then they just filled one of those spots with Trayshawn Holden. So Holden certainly would be a player who would start over Casper, but maybe Casper kind of fills in the Dante Thornton role there of being the next guy up and who can come on the field and, and make some plays in different packages. So I like I like Casper. 
defensively, uh, Keanu Williams is a guy who I would I thought he had some really nice moments against uh, I think it was Cal. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the next week Colorado when Taki was out. I thought he had some kind of nice moments, and as we said before, there could be quite a bit of defensive line um, turnover, and that's a player who could maybe see. I don't know if he'll start because I think there's still more veteran players, and they might address it through the portal. But that's a name I think I, I kind of like. Um, and then finding a second defensive player is kind of hard, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I, I'll just I'll just defer to Jaleel Florence as somebody who I don't know why he didn't play the last four games of the season, but I really liked what we saw early, and that's a position which again one spot's already open with Gonzalez uh, taking off. I think there's an opportunity there, and then um, you know there, there there's potential for. Triquez to leave or Triquez to we've talked to, I mean I, I there's no evidence from the staff but maybe Triquez is a player who who moves to a different position he's got a, a history of playing different parts of the defensive backfield maybe maybe that happens that opens up a spot for a Florence of course you could also see some portal additions that make his playing time harder to get to but I I think of the the first year defensive backs he was clearly the most impactful and I think has has pretty good upside so that would be those are the four early breakout players that I came up with. I like that list. I I had one on one, and just I didn't have didn't have two and two. Um, Kyla Casper is clearly the best offensive guy I think for this category. Um, yeah, we saw him in practice a lot, and man, is he good! I, I really like him. He wasn't going to see the play in the, or the field last season because of Oregon's wide receiver depth, but like Eric mentioned, now with a couple guys gone. Um, he can fill a role. You know, he's six foot five. He moves really well. Um, he's at Z wide receiver position. He's shown in practice that he plays a little bit of slot and could catch the ball out of there too. And that's a huge target. Um, if he adds on weight, adds on muscle, I think he could be like a really impactful wide receiver in the future. They just don't grow on trees like that. A six foot five, six foot six in cleats wide receiver that can just you know, move, move with the best of them and has a big catch radius. Really like that. And then defensively, I got a real sleeper pick on this one. Eric, I think you'll appreciate this. Devin Jackson. It's my guy. It's my, um, I'm, I'm taking him. I'm bringing him into the family for this next season. Um, I think he's, I think he could thrive in a Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy defense. You know, I've talked about it on those podcasts where, this is an opportunity for Dan and, and Tosh to get guys that they need in their system and that fits their needs in the transfer portal. Devin Jackson was one of the highest rate recruits in last, last cycles class. Um, he fits that need. He's a guy who's an edge to edge linebacker. He's really fast. He didn't get any time really this last season, except on special teams and then garbage time, but physically he's already there. He's a he's he's huge for a freshman. He's one of the more physically imposing freshmen that they brought in, other than like an offensive lineman. Um, like I said, he's fast. He's sub 11, 100 meter dash in high school. I, I I just think that this could be a huge potential guy, and especially with huge question marks at linebacker too, in terms of is Noah Sewell returning? Will Justin Jacobs be the guy he was at Iowa? Will they hit the portal even more? Um, Will Keith Brown, will Jeffrey Basso, will Harrison Taggart, another guy that you could pick, um, will those guys step up and show their developments? Um, I think I think Jackson is is going to be something. I really like his tape out of high school. Um, again, we didn't get to see too much of him at practice, but 
it seemed like he was always around the ball, at least when they were they're out perimeter tackling drills, which is a huge which was a huge question mark at Oregon this past season. Um, I just like his stuff, man. I'm so I'm all in on the on the Devin Jackson hype train. I will be driving it until next season, until the fall. Jared, You're welcome I, to come aboard. I, I'm stunned based on your personal history you didn't pick Harrison Taggart. That felt like such an well, easy and you guys are feuding, so I mean is that part of it? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I would like an explanation on, uh, from Harrison on his, on his dagger eyes to me every once in a while during, uh, during, <laughs> during attendance at practice. But guy doesn't um, like you very much. Uh, I guess not. I've only said very kind words about him in my life, but except for right now. Um, but I still really like him as a player because he's really fast and maybe that'll help. Guess I don't that. know. Yeah. Uh, offensively. I, I think there's – I'm kind of surprised none of you mentioned him. There's an, I think there's a very obvious one here. Oh. Patrick Herbert. Ooh. Uh, is gone. McCormick could be gone. Should be – likely is gone. That leaves just Terrence Ferguson. And when you look at – beyond Patrick Herbert. When you look at snap counts, too, offensively, there's a lot there to make up because – uh, Matavao had 336 total snaps. McCormick was right behind him at 327. So if both those players are gone, 660 or so snaps need to be made up. And Patrick Herbert played 213 snaps this past season. He could get above 350, 300 uh, if, if he stays healthy. And when you're on the field that much, that leads to a lot of opportunities uh, to make plays. Now, I I kind of want to say a second guy offensively, um, Josh Connerly Jr. Like I know he played. I know he's a big name, but pick. that's a good pick, man. It, it it's a guy going from who had a very clear cut role in a very specific formation to now playing basically every single down. Like that's a big jump. That's that's a breakout type player and potentially you, you, you know, you could say like, Hey, if he's as good as expected. He could be in contention maybe as like an honorable mention, all conference Pac-12 player next season. And if he's really good, even better than that. Um, defensively, it gets tough. Um, I, I thought maybe Ben Roberts, I, I did like Eric's Kianware Hudson. He's a guy I, I, I naturally went to um, maybe uh, Trevin, my eye. As a pass rush specialist, that's Eric's like favorite player a couple of years yeah, ago. But I love Trev. He, hasn't, he, he didn't just, take a step like we expected him to this season. Yeah, yeah, and, he, yeah. I I was hoping for more from Trev this year, I'm, and I'm I'm leading the fan club. Not to be too down. I just I thought that there was more there. Uh, and then just a shot in the dark because there's not a lot of other options that you guys haven't mentioned. But maybe like a, a Marion Winston off the yeah. edge, like. Yeah. He traveled a couple times this season. He played a couple times this season. There's going to be a clear path to the field currently for Oregon um, as an edge guy. Maybe, maybe that's one that finds the field and has some some moments for, for Oregon. I, the Connerly pick is probably the best pick, actually. I, I'm, I'm envious. I hadn't. I, I was thinking people with ball in hands and Connerly, although he did get a touchdown. Rarely yeah. ball at hand there, but he has potential to be a guy who you come back and say, "Oh, guy didn't barely play much as a freshman, and now he's now he's big time." 
pretty good, yeah. I think I could be pretty good. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll go through some of these questions in the chat and if you've got more go ahead and drop them in again we're doing this live if you're listening to the podcast so you can go in future dates and watch this live on youtube stream and join the show and be interactive but we'll take a quick break uh, and we'll be right back All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. If you're on the stream, you didn't go anywhere. You just watched us sit here for two seconds. Uh, welcome to uh, behind the curtain, if you will, of our production. Um, all right, we've got a couple questions here. Eric, have you scrolled through them, or do you want me to scroll? Oh, I've been scrolling. Do you, let's let's okay. start with this this one. I think this is probably close to the top of people's minds. Sure. Uh, should, I'll, I'll pick and, and, and read, since there are those who aren't watching who are probably going, what are they talking about? Um, question from... DTDS 1055. Oh, here's an opportunity, Jared and Matt, for me no, to ask no. people what their names stand for. <laughs> because I'm always so curious. <laughs> and they can respond live on the show. Uh, and the question from this uh, this listener, when are we expecting a decision on Bo Nix NFL draft coming back? Um, I think it's a I think it's a good question and it's one at the forefront of everyone's mind because as Matt laid out earlier when we were running through uh, several topics. It's you know, the, the DJU part, the Dante Moore part. The, the what Bo Nix decides to do ultimately has a pretty big impact, not only on the immediate success, but potentially on who's like who's on this team in years to come. Because there are players with remaining eligibility who are looking at Oregon, going, "I want to play quarterback. I want to play now." Is there an opportunity to do that there? So Oregon does need to have a decision made sooner than later. We've been slacking about this, in, you know, behind the scenes. Um, trying to get things kind of prepared for when Bo speaks this weekend. I'd imagine, and I, we could be totally off base on this. We've been off on some of this before. Wouldn't you guys think he'd try to make some sort of decision before he speaks with media for it again? And he's going to speak. 100%. He's going to yeah. speak either. Now, it, they, they changed the media days. They're going to speak either on Friday or Friday or Saturday. I don't know which. I'm guessing maybe maybe it's Saturday. I, I Maybe landing Friday, Saturday as players. I'm not sure what they're going to do with what the format will be. But one of these days, sometime this weekend, he's going to speak. I would think he'd like to get ahead of that question with some sort of social media announcement, some sort of announcement before that. Could be totally wrong, and he might want to go through the entire bowl process before making a decision and then announce after the bowl game what he wants to do as to not be a distraction, quote-unquote. But um, I, I think that's so – to me, it's probably like either it's you know this week, like in the next 48 hours, 72 hours, or you're going to have to wait till closer to early, you know, maybe New Year's because he's going to go through the entire bull process, maybe be asked after the game. I don't know if he'll want to talk about it then or not, but those are kind of the two timelines I have in mind. Do you guys disagree? Like, I think he, either he does it this week or he's pushing it. He's not going to talk about it until after the bull, which means we're looking at the 28th or, or later. I, I think if he is coming back, it's either right after the bull game or this weekend when he announces it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't think there's another option there. Unless he wants to do it at SeaWorld on December 25th. You can <laughs> talk to the killer whales and announce, it's like, I'm going to Disney World. Yeah. But no, I, I, there's nothing else. All right, next one from RIC Podcast. What about the Dante Moore situation? Um, there was a rumor that he was going to visit Ohio State. Steve Wiltfong kind of put that one to rest last night in his column and then 
also Ohio today State. they got a commitment from a quarterback. They flipped I, Washington's, so that kind of put that officially to bed. Right, and I was going to try to pronounce that kid's name. It's kind of a funky one. He's from South Dakota, by the way, which is you got to love oh, yeah. a South Dakota kid getting a big time offer, going to a big school. That doesn't happen every year. Um, You're trying to say that Washington wasn't a big school there. Ooh. Well, huh. no, I, I was saying it doesn't happen every year. The Washington offer, but then the Ohio State offer is a little bit more meaningful, probably. As you can tell, it was more meaningful to him as it would be to me because uh, he ended up flipping to Ohio State shortly after. Um, Matt, uh, Jared, do you want to try to pronounce his name? What's, 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 what's uh, his name? Keenels or Kynels? Kynels? Yeah. Yeah, K I E N H O L Z. So for those who think they can help me, let me know. Uh, no, so that, so that removes Ohio State from the competition. I don't know if they were really ever in it, but that was like some, there was a little bit of momentum the last couple of days about maybe him taking a trip there. I don't think that happens now. Um, the UCLA thing is obvious, is, is what this is in response to. I think we're kind of in a consensus. You guys can tell me if, if you disagree that he still signs with Oregon. I think, I think the only way this gets scary is if he doesn't sign early. I don't expect yes. he'll sign with like I don't think he's going to sign with UCLA on the 21st. Like and that would be that would be very surprising to me. I think this gets scary if he goes, "Hey, you know, I actually I want to wait." Like that that would be the worst case outcome for mm-hmm. for this early signing period is if, if more or any of the big name guys say, "Hey, we're going to hold off. We're going to wait a little bit." So, um as soon as he signs early, I think it'll be Oregon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's like, like you said, if it, if it goes past early signing day, I think it's concerning. Um, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting that there were – like he didn't take any other official visits to like Michigan or Michigan State, his home his home state schools, but once UCLA. Um, but like Steve Wolfong said in his report, like, yeah, he, he went to UCLA, but he's still he, – he mentioned that he doesn't see the Ducks as not the front runner. So, yeah, if he pushes it back past early signing day, I think it could get a little hairy, but I still expect him to sign with Oregon. Seeing how it's transpiring that he's there's a very good chance he's in Eugene this weekend for another visit. Um, I, I said this on a podcast previously. I kind of think the UCLA thing was a leverage move. Like mm. the more about it, and we, we don't need to go down that path again. But I, I think there's just more and more speculation by my part that that visit while seriously looking at UCLA was maybe even more importantly, just a leverage move to squeeze out a little bit more money out of NIL collectives. Uh, if, if he could. That's so crazy that that's part of the, 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 the discussion. Now, but it's it where is. we are in sports. And it's, now and, and, it's, and it's always been there by the way, not just yes. now, but it's getting, now it's just legal. Yeah. All right. From chargers XO. What do you think is most likely Oregon going two for two, one for two, zero oh for two with Mateo Ungalangale and David Hicks? Um, two for two feels really, really far fetched to me. I don't expect that. I'd probably say zero oh for two. You go zero oh for two. I would say zero oh for two. Yeah, I'll go zero oh for two as well. I don't. I mean, it's a domino effect, and again, like I said earlier, reading. Will Fong's update on Hicks saying if it was if Texas was in Oregon or Oregon was in Texas, it's like okay, well that means he just doesn't want to leave home. So I'm going over two. If if Bo Nix doesn't come back and he hasn't made a decision yet, then I may say one for two. But agreed. In our current format, over two. 
Daniel Shepard, not sure if you already talked about it. How are you? How are we feeling about Maliki Madavout being in the portal? Um, the collective we in this podcast was, I think, a little bit surprised based on our Slack messages to each other on what was that? Was that Monday or Tuesday? Monday. Monday. Yeah. Um, Monday. It, uh, along with Thornton, these are the two players to me who had the most clear roles down the stretch of the season and the most clear roles going forward. Um, unlike Thornton, though, like you look at Maliki, and I don't know exactly why players enter the portal. There's probably a lot of reasons behind it. But if you're going strictly football playing time situation, playing a ton, they use a lot of two tight end sets. We talked with J.J. Perez, the UTSA writer, who knows a pretty good deal about Stein, and and he indicated that they like to use the, he loved to use his tight ends at UTSA as well. So it doesn't feel like there was going to be a limited role to the tight end situation, but there's a possibility that Maliki's going, I would like to be the number one tight end, and Terrence Ferguson is pretty clearly going to be that going forward and and, and decided to transfer in part because of that. But from like a, a snap count perspective, Matt read out the numbers earlier, like Madabelle played like 340 snaps in 12 games this year. So you're talking about 25, 28 snaps per game. Like the guy was playing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I would say, you know, this is the transfer that was probably the most impactful in terms of removing a player who um, who had a big role this last year and figured to have a big role next year. Certainly, I think that was something that we were surprised by. I think I will also say um, the good news if you're an Oregon fan, because this, this, this one does hurt a little more than some of the others, I think. The good news is that you do have Terrence Ferguson. You do have Patrick Herbert. I think Kenyon Sadiq is going to be a stud. I don't know if that's going to be immediately. I don't know exactly. He's a weird player because of his body type where he feels like a tweener. He's like 6'3", 225, 230, so you're kind of looking he's, at somebody. He's the Brock Bowers type. That's what everybody's right. going after. Right, and so he he's more of a – he's more of almost going to be kind of an extension of a of a receiver who maybe is in line a little bit, but for the – he's not – he is definitely not a direct replacement for, for Maliki, which brings me to the point of I, I do think this is a – becomes quickly a portal look or I know they have Jimmy Johnson coming in this weekend from, from who's a current Louisville commitment. They just had some coaching shakeup. Maybe that's a player you flip, but I, you do need to find, I think a little bit more synonymous body types. Um, mm-hmm. Find someone similar to Madavau who was six six two fifty five. Herbert Ferguson have that body type probably need to get one more. And I think you do need to get to four regardless. And the other, the other thing is it's possible Cam McCormick returns. There's been a little bit of rumbling of that. He does, have a couple of years of eligibility left, which is crazy. Like if he wanted to, Matt, he could be here till 2024, which is, uh, which is legitimately almost a, which would be, I think, is that come out to a decade in college or very close? It's just absolutely. He arrived in seven total years. God, he's eight. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, he 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 was was same recruiting class as Justin Herbert. Yeah. So Herbert could be like getting a new contract when McCormick <laughs> theoretically could be uh, oh, getting man. out of college. That's a crazy <laughs> way to think about that. Uh, do you guys have anything to add to the Maliki combo? Um, uh, I just, yeah, just – Go ahead, Jared. Oh, okay. Um, I was – yeah, no, I was a little surprised just for all the reasons that Eric mentioned. Like, this is a clear-cut guy that it was probably going to play a lot next season like he did this past year. Um, I'll say, I mean, it just sounds like he wants to catch the ball more. I mean, he was a good blocking tight end, but Terrence Ferguson was clearly the better pass-catching receiver or tight end, um, you know, he had, everybody talked about how underutilized the the tight end room was in 2021. He had nine catches for 75 yards. This past year, he had 10 catches. 
Granted, he had it for 134 yards, which was much better, you know, yards per reception. But it he had one rushing touchdown this season and one – did he have a passing touchdown? Yes, he did. So he had two total touchdowns this year after having one last year. He just wasn't a main fixture in the passing offense, which I'm sure whatever school he'll go to next, probably UCLA, will likely use him more in the pass game. So I'm not overly surprised that he wants to move, but I was surprised that he did move because I thought that he was the, the clear number two tight end going into next year. The only thing I'll, I'll touch on is not necessarily directly with him, but using him as an example. This is going to happen in the future more often and it's not going to be just an Oregon guy it's going to be that number two or that number three guy at a certain position that plays a lot sees the path the path to the field gets a little bit of production has years of eligibility left next season and leaves because look athletes they want to win they want to play at the highest level but most importantly they want to have a say in those games, in that win, in that loss. And so you're going to see guys who play who maybe aren't the starter at a certain position or aren't the leading receiver or scorer in basketball or what have you at that position say, I want that role. I want that responsibility. I like it here. I play here. I know that. But I want to have a bigger role. And that's just what's going to happen. I mean, it it wouldn't surprise me if he picks a school where the pathway to being the number one tight end is very clear. And that's just what's going to happen. It happened with Dante Thornton earlier this year. I mean, that guy was slated to be a starter, but he's going to be, he has to, A, he has to win the job. And then B, he would be behind Franklin. He would be behind Hudson. And you're adding Jerry on Dickey into the mix as well. You're probably going to add a transfer portal player. He wants a bigger role. Playing is just not enough. And that's going to happen. And look, we could argue one way or the other if that's, you know, a great thing or not. But, you know, he wants to have a role. He wants to play a bigger role. And that's what's that's what happened here. And I think and I have one more. I have another question. And we got some more we can get to after. But I, I think just to add on to that, the – there is also something to be said of when you're recruiting the best, they expect to be the best. And a guy like a mm-hmm. Thornton, a guy like Amato Vau, both big time recruits, I think both top six, top eight at their position in the country in their cycle, that class, they expect to come in and be, as Matt said, the guy or have a huge role. And I think it's, you know, patience is a virtue. That's a, a saying for a reason because it's hard to be patient. It's hard to, to be, those guys are both in the same recruiting class. They've been on campus two years. And to look up and say, hey, I'm going to be a junior next year and I'm not going to be a primary player. I think that that I just think that there is an impact there of you come into your college experience thinking I'm going to have a huge role at this school. And there's probably I don't want to say guarantees made, but there's probably pitches made of you've got an opportunity to come in and win some big time playing time. And there's a coaching change. So I understand that plays a role, too. But, you know. You, you expect to have it play out one way, and then when you look up and go, hey, I've only got a couple more years of eligibility left, and I'm not sure I'm going to be the guy. And there's also the fact that with both of those situations, there's a player from their same class that's overshadowing them at their same position, essentially. right? Troy Franklin being somebody who's going to be the, the focal point of the offense, and, and, and certainly that X, that X position in particular, I think, in most offenses is going to be the most targeted. At least that mm-hmm. seems to be the trend for, from everything I've seen. kind of depends on some of the looks, but um, – 
that's going to be hard for someone like Thornton to swallow, just like it's going to be hard for Maliki to swallow, even though I know he's really close with, with Ferg, um, that he's not the guy. All right, a couple more here from Raymond Wissig. What do you think the strategy for the next portal after spring ball will be, and how does that play into recruiting now? I think it's a good question because uh, we've talked about this on a couple of shows here of there's multiple windows, and there's going to be multiple waves from each window, and Oregon will will – I imagine add, I don't know, half a dozen players maybe in the portal through this first group here or something like that. We have no idea. We talk, if you were listening to us earlier, you heard us, we had a heck of a time even figuring out exactly how the scholarship math works. Who knows how many players are going to add in the portal around this time. But I, I do think the strategy for the next, after the next portal will be to be very, very specific because I, I would imagine the majority of your additions are going to be made in this first window. That's what happened last year. Could be different this year. They're, you know, they, obviously they've changed the schedule around this offseason, but Think back to last year. I think most of the additions were made pre-spring ball that allowed most of the players or a good number to get here for parts or at least of spring ball. And then they added Bucky Irving kind of late. Casey Rogers, I think, was was a little bit later uh, in the process in terms of, of, of that commitment. So mm-hmm. my guess so is was, those, so was Riley. Well, Riley committed early, but he didn't he didn't arrive until later. He committed pretty early, I want to say. I think he committed in December, right after Tuioti took the job. That's my recollection. Um, but regardless, like I, my, my, my instinct is you're going to see them probably add five, six players in this first window, go through spring ball, and then just try to kind of, you know, uh, put the finishing touches on the roster. You know, you imagine this last year, what it would be like if they hadn't landed a Bucky Irving. Well, a guy like that who ends up in the portal, you want to save space for him. And that's where this does get difficult with the scholarship math, right? Of like you have there, there you want to be you know proactive, but you also want to be able to be reactive later on when new players enter the portal. So a guy like a Bucky Irving maybe unexpectedly enters the portal, you know, around spring ball at Minnesota, and your Oregon, you can pounce and go add him. So um, I think that's going to be the mindset here. Of you get most of your work done, I think, in the first window, and then you get through spring ball, you're going to have probably some of your own players turn over. And you're going to look around the country and see other players popping up. And going to be, I think you want to be pretty selective in that spring window. I don't know if you want to hold on. I don't know if you want to expect to go add another five players in that period. You probably want to go add one, to two, to three. And then they're going to have to be special guys that fit into specific roles. That would be my expectation. I think that's the right expectation. I think you want to add as many guys as you can now or as many guys as you're allotted to now. Just because, A, you'll get them on on – on the list of commits and B, if they graduate early or if they transfer early, they can be there for spring ball and start to learn the offense or the defense, which I think is really beneficial for uh, a high school prep player. And then even more beneficial for a college guy, just to get acclimated to what you're trying to do. Um, but I, yeah, like, like Eric mentioned, I think it's important to keep one or two spots open just in case there is somebody who goes into spring ball at another program, realizes that they're not the guy or realizes that, I don't know, maybe like the team just stinks and they just want to get out of town and they hit the transfer portal Um, because there's going to be good name players there in the portal in the spring ball. Um, I just think it's, it's, I don't know, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen for spring just because it's really hard to predict what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks with how Oregon orchestrates their scholarship total. Um, And I mean, if I, but again, if I were Dan, if I were Marshall Malco, if I were anybody who's got their handprints all over this, you know, I try to add as many of the transfer portal guys right now instead of holding on to five or six spots for the spring, just because I think there's going to be better 
choices and better players right now in the portal than there will be come springtime. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. It'll be way better players now than in the spring. Um, I think players with, with more years of eligibility will be available in the spring, long-term type ads. Um, but I, I think in the spring, it, the spring window opens May 1st, runs through May 15th. It's not as long. It's a third of the length this current one is at. It's a 45-day window right now. Um, I would bet some good money that Oregon is done with spring football May 1st. And the reasoning I would say that is, hey, we now know what holes we need to fill. We now know what players maybe aren't necessarily progressing along the lines that we anticipated them to be at. And let's go address some of those needs. Like Eric said, very specific targeted additions. I think that's what that second window will be used for is going out, going through spring ball, identifying some areas, some weak points and saying, okay, if we can add three players to this roster, what makes the most sense from an impact perspective? Is it better to have maybe a fourth quarterback? Is it maybe better to have a fourth tight end? Do we need another offensive lineman or should we go load up on defense and find pass rushers? Maybe not necessarily a superstar, but maybe we add two guys that we know can play you know, 20, 30 snaps a game for us, and we had two of them. Now that Those are the conversations that the Oregon staff and probably coaches across the country are going to have is targeted additions in specific spots um, once spring football is over with. I, I would be shocked if Oregon does not uh, – if Oregon still has spring practices maybe beyond the spring game itself in May. Maybe the spring game is in, is in like May 2nd or 3rd. But I, I would be shocked if they split it up again and it, it's not fully, pretty much fully done by that window. We got one more here and then we'll wrap up our show. Uh, and this one's kind of a quicker question to answer, I think, from Pac-Man. Does, do college teams need to hire general managers to build roster every year like the NFL? And the reason I picked this one is because I think Oregon is one of the programs that's kind of a step ahead. Have, and that's, what, yeah. that's essentially what Marshall Malco is for Oregon. Um, we had him on our show. It was a good podcast. If you guys are curious about kind of Marshall's role, you can go back and find that one. It's on YouTube, I think. If it's not, you can go find it on the podcast app. But Marshall kind of outlined his role, which is it's basically – I think he did he even say uh, basically a general manager. I can't remember if he outright said that or not, but I know that's – I'm pretty sure other, he did. From other conversations, I know that's essentially what the role is. And and he, and he kind of laid it out, outlined it. His job is to make Dan's job easy so he can focus on – coaching football uh you know so marshall's job is to behind the scenes to make sure they're vetting potential additions that they're uh understanding what the additions need to be that they're making that kind of preliminary contact and then they bring in the coaches to kind of finish up the recruiting stuff um but you know Mar Mar marshall malco who they brought over from texas a&m who was previously before that at georgia and washington and all sorts of places he uh he is essentially your general manager oregon has one I don't know the percentage of schools that have a person in a similar role, but in the Southeast, in the Big Ten, it's probably close to 100%. In the Pac-12, I'm guessing it's probably closer to 50%, maybe. I, I really don't know. I haven't done a deep dive. Kind of interesting to maybe look into. But, uh, yeah, I think every college team will eventually have one. Oregon does basically have one currently. And I would say maybe 
250 to two thirds of the power five schools already already have something similar in place. Maybe not the same title, but something similar. Yeah, uh, Marshall's, what is he? He's chief of staff. Is that the official title that he has? Yeah. Um, same thing. I mean, it's just another word for it. Um, he's He acts like the general manager of a team. I know that there's not, it's not really like how an NBA or an MLB or an NFL GM operates because there's no like salary cap or budget or at least not a public one. Um, not one that all schools abide by like they do in the professional leagues. But yeah, that's his whole purpose. I mean, I think Oregon is ahead of the eight ball there where they hired him. Um, you know, he did tremendous work at Georgia, did tremendous work at Texas A&M, um, where he was the assistant athletic director or the assistant something at, Georgia, or at Texas A&M. But he helped build that special 2022 class that was you know the greatest class in the history of 24-7 sports recruiting cycles that only saw five or six of those players leave. So go Texas A&M. But uh, yeah, I think he's, he serves a, an immensely important behind the scenes role that um, if you're aware of who he is, I think that's a good thing. Um, but I think what he does is, is really unknown by like a, a casual, casual fan. But like Eric said, this is going to be a position of need, not just luxury um, for in the future because of, how often the transfer portal is going to going to be uh, an impact in every single program, how much NIL has become an impact in, a, in every single program, and just uh, building a staff that is able to go around and, and scout people on, on other college teams for the portal and scout high school recruits. Um, I think him being in charge is a huge advantage for Oregon, and you, you do see it taking into effect in this year's recruiting class. And when he was able to get into last year's recruiting class and how quickly that came together. Um, I think as long as Oregon keeps him, uh, keeps him happy as well. I think that that Oregon's going to have a lot of success in the recruiting and the NIL division. So I've been blowing through all the PAC 12 schools as you guys okay. were talking, nice. um, looking at their rosters and Oregon, um, Washington, Washington State, UCLA, Arizona, USC um, have all have someone either titled chief of staff or straight up general manager. USC has a guy straight up general manager. Nice. Um, Oregon State did not have anybody. Arizona State, I'm currently on their page right now. They do not have anybody. But you know that could be is that like, because of yeah. You know, like they just haven't hired the person yet. I don't. Yes. I don't know. Right. Dillingham's um, forward thinking enough to get someone there. I guarantee. Yes. 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 I would. I would. I would expect that to happen as well. Um, Utah. I'm currently on their page. I do not see anybody. Um, they have like football ops. They have director of player personnel. But Oregon has chief of staff plus director of player personnel. Yeah. So like, I, I if you're a player, you know, director of player personnel, I don't. I don't consider that um, the, the deal there. So, it, like, it, it, it could be that's a bigger role there than it is at Oregon, but yeah, not yes. the same title. I bet you so, Cal, and Stanford, Cal and Stanford probably don't have one because they're they they don't buy into any of the any of this stuff. I'd imagine and, yeah. and it's not worth it. We'll just we'll just play a game. Going out on a limb there. <laughs> so yeah, like Oregon's ahead of the game. It feels like um, they were forward thinking enough where they've had like director of player personnel, director of scouting, um, director of player development. They had those roles 
um, under Mario Cristobal already intact. And then um, Lanning brought in Malco to, to be kind of the chief of staff, like oversee everybody on, on the offside, uh, off the field roles and on the field roles as well, along with him. Um, so, but most of the Pac-12 is catching up now, but I, I would be curious to see like, when did these positions get created? When did they, when did they show up? um on on staff and it's it's a weird transition because like i can still remember when eric you may know this kind of timeline like when football went from nine coaches Mm -hmm. to ten yeah it was less than 10 years ago or 12 years ago i want to say that was might have been helfrich's last year and that was like a huge deal and right around that same time, you also had the you know the, the the idea that hey, it used to be football programs would just have a position coach be in charge of recruiting. Like that was Don Pelham's deal. Like there wasn't uh, a Marshall Malkow or a Don Johnson at Oregon whose like sole job is strictly recruiting. It was assistant coach who had that title thrown on as well. So, like, the, just the overall scope of a coaching roster has drastically changed in the last 15 years or so. Uh, I mean, it was, 2008, the are it was two, 2018 they went from 9 to 10. It's only been five years, Matt. This whole thing is, is yeah. at warp speed somehow. I blew my wow. mind. Yeah. I just That's crazy. So, yeah, like, I, I think the SEC, obviously, the Big Ten, and some schools in the ACC, like, they've been ahead of the game. They've had, like – 20, 30 guys on staff that aren't on-field roles. Oregon's been under Willie Taggart. It, it started. Mario Cristobal accelerated it. And now Dan Lanning has really kind of just continued the, the machine of just adding more and more guys beyond just the 10 assistant coaches. So, like, Oregon has that GM in place. And quite frankly, they have kind of like a couple assistant GMs too, like the NFL does as well. It's. It, I think that's one of the underrated things. Like everybody talks about the portal, they talk about NIL. I don't know if people talk as much about the staff uh, expansion, the expansions of how the staffs have changed. It's like, it's I, ridiculous. I, when I first started doing this, the staff was basically like, you, maybe two dozen total people that were around the football program in some capacity, and that's including like medical people. Like it, it was, yeah. you know, and now, and now if you include all that, like. We go out to practice, Jared. Like, how many student related? And I'm sure they had people in similar roles even before this. But like, there's probably three, four dozen people that are out on the yeah. field in some capacity doing something for every. I mean, like each each position group they split up into you know the different position groups. There's like three to four coaches in you know people at who least. Are, or you know, and some of those are students that are again are like you know basically prep, making sure that the drills have the proper equipment and have the footballs and all that. But like. It's crazy how this has changed um, over the last, again, it's like five, seven years, just the expansion mm-hmm. of staffs and how that's kind of impacted everything. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge operation right now. Oregon has, Oregon has 52 people listed on the football coaching staff with a link to a bio. 52. It's pretty good. It's a lot. Yeah, I was going to say. It's almost a player was, per player. <laughs> I know. It really is. I think it'll get there eventually. 
I think if yeah. we if we were to go watch an Alabama practice or a Georgia practice, I think it would be almost like as a one one coach per one player. Um, like even going from Mario's staff and just like seeing how many people were on that staff, which seemed like a lot at the time, and it seemed like it was, you know, it's, it's much different than what we had seen in the past. Like Dan's staff blows it away. And I don't even think we we see as many guys or, or girls who work inside the program as 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 uh, as we know. I think like on the practice field, it's one thing, but I think every office in that HDC complex, I think it's got to be full at this point. I think you know, I think it's good timing that they're building that new practice facility because they're going to need more room. Um, but I think it's extremely beneficial. I don't like there's. As long as you have the money to pay for all of these guys to or guys or girls to come do their job, you you might as well because it it directly correlates with on field success. And I know we'll we'll get you know I was making fun of Texas A and M earlier for bringing in all the five stars and whatever, but you need good coaching too. And if you have all the the money to accumulate good coaching talent, like Oregon seems to do, and uh, has this uh, expansive budget thanks to a large part of their donors, like investing into recruiting and the transfer portal which is a whole new investing route um it's absolutely worth it i get there's a genuine coral or causation correlation causation with investing into recruiting in the transfer portal and coaching into immediate success on the football field matt have you looked at how many there were sorry sorry to expand this conversation i just think it's kind of interesting uh have you it's looked a how, many, how many bios there were in 2012 for the oregon coaching staff <laughs> Uh, give me a second here and I can do it. I've looked it up. 2012. Wow. Coaching uh, staff? 22. I've looked yeah. it up. I've already got it. I know how many oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was asking um, you guys to guess. I'm going to say 18. 16. Damn. 16. So in 10 years, it's like tripled tripled it's legitimately tripled that just tells you i mean i that's just pretty interesting 2012 oregon was one of the and by the way oregon was one of the best programs in the country and they had, they had a third of what they have now and we should note two people on that staff are currently on the current staff so that's interesting matt neuer was an intern in 2012 he's been here forever and uh jeff hawkins jeff hawkins was the director of football ops which i think he still is almost essentially yeah. so Anyway. I mean, Radcliffe is still at Oregon, and yeah, uh, not, John Neal is also doing some consulting work. Okay. But not so a quarter of the people basically are still around the program. That's impressive. Capacity. Yeah, for a decade, that's pretty good considering that it tripled and all the turnover that Oregon has had with their yep. very consistent coaches in the last decade. All right, I think that's going to do it for us here uh, on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Hey, look, 138 people on the live stream. I think our goal was to get to triple digits, 100 people. Uh, and for the most part, we far exceeded that number. Um, that's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, yeah. We will continue to be doing more of these live streams. Um, we're still trying to figure out what the best time is. So drop us in the comments like what time you feel is best for yourself. Hey, we're not going to showcase the entire show for you directly individually but we'll try our best to maybe make it accessible for everybody uh so give us a time frame that looks good for you um we'll try and figure this out a little bit more 
But until the next one, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.